Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JustBaseball, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. This is the Just Baseball Show for Thursday, April 13th. Jack Aram, we're going to talk you through some guys that are set to make uh, their big league debuts tonight. We're recording on Wednesday afternoon in Taj Bradley and Edward Julian. Also a really interesting article in The Athletic from Ken Rosenthal that I saw in regards to the quote-unquote momentum lead. Everybody's got a different name for it, but this is... You know, not necessarily a new thing, but it is the sexy thing in baseball right now. Arm just got a lot brighter visually. Yeah, speaking That's of sexy, so just cool. put the ring light on uh, for those watching on YouTube. You're so. hot as hell, man. That was a big investment for me. Um, you know, I, I, there was a, there was a couple comments about like how extra dark I looked. Um, yeah. One that was like bordering on on a little bit. A little bit questionable uh, on YouTube, but but it did it did spark a thought, and I'm like, yeah, I look like I'm like recording in a cave. So yeah. I wanted to you know get some lighting in here. So back in New York, got the ring light rocking. Well, that probably fits your your mojo, right? That fits kind of your personality if you were to be recording in a cave. But it is beautiful yes. in New York City right now. It was like Wouldn't 70 know. degrees and sunny at first pitch. You wouldn't know because you're working on a mammoth project right now. Fill us it's in. It's done. Top 100 is done. Um, by the time you're listening to this, it is out. Uh, you can go to justbaseball.com and go check that out. I have been doing that all day today. Um, those, again, watching on YouTube can probably just like, I look a little extra disheveled today. So like when I joined the Zoom, I was like shoveling pizza in my mouth while you were just looking at me after you just called a whole game and had like a whole productive day. But this was in in a different way productive for me. Really pumped for everyone to check out the top 100, though. A lot of new names. Um, with a lot of notable prospects graduating it, with this list kind of coming out a week or so into the season, 
uh, it allowed me to kind of put in a lot of new names. So we're going to have a Just Baseball Show episode where we talk about the takeaways from it. But if you can't wait for that, definitely go check out the Top 100. Yes, 100%. And on the call-up, our prospect podcast, we're going to be going in batches of 20. So mm-hmm. 100 through 81 coming today, dropping, and then 80 through 61, so on and so forth. Uh, the last one will be 20 through 1, as you could guess, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I just called an 11 a.m. first pitch, 11.05. Yeah, How do you think the thing? players feel about that? It's It's a baseball and education day, so it's like a lot of the local – elementary middle schools will take a field trip out to the ballpark and it's presented by IUPUI. So like you've got a bunch of kids there. I think we had 7,000 people uh, at that game today, which was a good crowd for, you know, Wednesday at 11 AM. But how do you think leadoff man playing right field feels about the 1105 first pitch? It's so funny. I was just talking about this with my, with my mom. I was, when I was down home, she was driving me to the airport and I was just telling her about how much I appreciated her driving me to all those like summer uh, tournaments, you know, in Fort Myers or wherever. And I, I always would say, you know, it's very cliche about how you don't know, like, you're living the best part of your life or you're living like the dream until afterwards, like those tournaments, we used to want to lose. Like I wanted to get out of there. It was hot, whatever, but we had so much fun. You played baseball. Then you went to the movies or an arcade or whatever. Uh, and it was, it was a blast from like age 13 to, to 17, 18. But the one part I hated was waking up. Cause you had like 9 AMers or 8 AMers in those tournaments. Cause they had to pack it in. There was no worse feeling than waking up at like seven in the morning in your holiday in going to the ballpark, and like there was times where I'm in the box, like the morning dew still on the grass and I'm like still wiping the crust out of my eyes. Like, yeah. So I know it's a little different at 11, but you're a professional baseball player that at this point has not played probably before 12 or one really at all. Uh, besides this special occasion, it must have been miserable. How was the offense out of the gate? Uh, it was slow, but it was also Luis Ortiz against Bailey Ober, which was like, oh, pretty it's pretty good. Matchup. Although Baylor went six or uh, Ober. Baylor Bailey Ober went six shutty uh, with six punch outs and no walk. So he looked great. I feel like he might be pitching a little pissed off right now because obviously they add Pablo. You've got a healthy Kent Maeda. Like there's no space for Ober and I've given Ober shit on, on the pod in recent years, but I mean, that guy like is a major league pitcher. He's just being stiff armed out of that rotation because the twins are really freaking good, man. And they yeah. just made a massive addition. Gallo was good. Gallo is hurt now. He's going to rehab an Indy in the coming days. But I mean, dude, they just call up Edouard Julien last night, which is really cool. And Julien's a guy that we're going to be talking about in that 100 through 81 grouping on the call up. You'll see him on the top 100 prospects. Julien, just like the primer, if you're going to tune in to a Twins game over the next week or so, you're going to see a guy that I think more effectively than anybody else in baseball right now is leaning into the new school. This fucker doesn't swing. No, I've never seen someone swing less, actually. I don't think I've ever seen anyone swing less. He swung a little bit more in 2023 so far, and as a result, he's actually struck out a little bit more than we saw him in the past, but also he was you know, adjusting to AAA. But going over the 2022 sample size, Edouard Julien swung 35% of the time. And like for reference... I think Tim Anderson probably swings close to 60% of the time. Like we're talking about some players in major league baseball, aggressive, you know, to be fair, swing almost twice as much as Edouard Julien. So Julien is looking for one pitch, one spot. And then with two strikes, he's got confidence in himself. Of course, you're going to go into a lot of two strike counts. 
Uh, you're going to strike out a little bit. So that's something that he's always going to do. You're also going to walk a bunch. That's also something he's going to do. Um, so he's very three true outcome type, but I don't know if I've seen anybody pummel fastballs the way Julian does. We've talked about it on the call up. This guy's going to crush mistakes. He's going to crush fastballs. He's going to be great in a platoon role. He's probably not going to face many lefties. If he could defend at all, he'd be a top 50 prospect in baseball. Uh, I think we're probably the only publication that'll have him in the top 100 and he's in the back end of our top 100 and it's just because of how good the approach is and how hard he hits fastballs yeah so for reference in major league baseball last year so 2022 there were five guys that swung at less than 40 percent of the pitches they saw Juan Soto 35 percent because nobody was pitching to him Stephen Kwan we freaking love Stephen Kwan man because when he swings he's making contact Trent Grisham Max Muncy, DJ LeMayhew. Muncy Muncy was my comp. That was going to be like my my comp for him. Yeah, I I think that's a perfect comp for Julianne. And, and, you know, Julianne, okay, doesn't swing, right? 35% swing rate last year. He hit 300 with a 440 OBP. Yeah, fastballs. So it'll be harder to do that, you know, in the the big leagues when they got the scouting report, they're going to give him more hammers. But I've never seen a guy not miss a fastball like like edward julian like it, it's unbelievable when he pulls a trigger on a heater he hits it last year against fastballs 390 540 650 slash line and what's even more nuts about it if you cue by higher velocity his numbers get better so against 95 plus last season this was 110 plate appearance sample size 450 630 824 eight home runs that's a 1450 OPS against fastballs 95 plus. Even if he can't hit lefties, even if he has struggles with breaking balls, that alone will allow him to be a productive big league hitter. Um, and I think it was part of the reason, very different player than Luis Arias, who I want to talk about in a moment. Uh, but I think that was part of the reason why they were okay with moving Arias because they knew they had another left-handed bat that they can kind of you know plug into the lineup that's going to be extremely productive for them, uh, especially against righties. Different kind of productive, but at the end of the day, it's all about production, not how you get it. Yeah, and Julian had an excellent WBC for Canada. He's from Quebec City. He went from Quebec to Auburn, and he apparently hardly knew English, and he just said yes to every single question. That was a great article <laughs> on MLB.com. So he was just saying yes, like, you want to play first? You want to play second? Yes, yes. Like he would just play, you know, anywhere in the infield because <laughs> all he said was yes. So he's learned a bit more English. Uh, he has always spoken the language of hitting and uh, he's going to get a chance to show it in Minnesota. Now, one last Minnesota question before we move to Luisa Rise hitting the first cycle in Marlins history. Minnesota, as I cue up my, my Joe Biden impression. Minnesota, uh, they and Cleveland both have seven wins. You think Minnesota has a shouting chance to take this division? Yes. I said it before the season. So that, you know, I, I was in on Minnesota before the season. Um, 11 games is small sample size theater. So not much has changed, but I definitely feel good. Um, you're looking at a team that I think is only going to get stronger. Only thing that makes me nervous is pitching staff health, right? Pablo Lopez injury concerns and, you know, with his shoulder, uh, Sonny Gray has dealt with injuries. Tyler Malley dealt with injuries that said, and, and Kenta Maeda is coming back from an, an injury as well. They have so much depth. That that hedges that. And then Pablo Lopez, yeah, he was shut down at the very end of last year, kind of dealt with a little bit of stuff, but finished strong and still threw 180 innings. Like that's the new norm. That's still pretty good. 
Uh, I think they're going to manage things well. That's my only concern, but offensively, they're going to get Royce Lewis back. They just called up Julian. Jorge Polanco hasn't even been playing. Yeah. Like they, they still have a bunch of dudes that can plug and play and they can ride the hot hand. And that's not even mentioning Trevor Larnick looks like a, a he stock. looks great. Yeah. Great. So the, the thing that initially, I guess, held me back about Minnesota was I was doubting how good the top end of the Minnesota rotation could be. And the answer is better than I think I was anticipating. Like Pablo Lopez looked like Pablo did at the beginning of last year for Miami. Better. He better. looks great. He's got he a sub better. one through his what? First three starts, right? Yep. Yep. And he's pacing the league in innings. He So the, the twins, this is what you do when you trade for a player. You ID a player that you, you can, you know, maybe get a, at a fair value. Obviously they got him in a really great value and identify maybe a way that you can make him better. And I think they saw Pablo Lopez. It was always the problem was fastball changeup, right? And if one of those pitches isn't there, yeah. you're going to get knocked around a little bit. So he'd have those blow-up starts. He's added this sweeper, which we've seen, you know, take baseball by storm. Right. And even though it's not, you know, an elite, elite sweeper, no one's really hit it because everyone's worried about fastball changeup. It's just enough of that change of pace. And I think that could be the difference. We talked about like breaking ball was all Pablo needed. That could be the difference for him from being the number three type to more like that high-end two, uh, which he's looked like a high-end two. He has looked like a high-end two. He is, I brought this up on, I want to say yesterday's show, uh, or two days ago. Um, Pablo Lopez right now is like the same narrative that we had about Framber Valdez last year, where it's like he has the ability to be the best two in baseball, and that's what Pablo's doing. We haven't addressed it on the Just Baseball show, and I know that a lot of people have been asking on you know social media platforms and all that, what the hell is a sweeper? And we kind of got an answer from Colby. Yeah. Um, and Colby said, it's all about pitch profile. So a sweeper, if you see that, it's not a new pitch. We didn't reinvent the wheel. Um, it is a slider with more horizontal break than your typical slider. And that's the definition of a sweeper. Yes. So it, it's funny because guys were effective pitchers were accidentally throwing sweepers before, right? Like yeah. that was their slider. Um, and so what, what happened is those guys tended to be very good. Uh, and, and it's funny because for me, when I'm looking at prospects and I'm able to you know, get some of the pitch profiles, I started to just kind of jot down the commonalities over the last couple of years of like breaking ball shapes. And it's funny because none of them were labeled in the systems that I look at as sweepers right. or just sliders, but they were so different movement profile wise and people way smarter than me with way more technology than me, I guess ran crazy simulations to, to see what was the most effective pitch shape and sweep the sweeper was. What's funny is I was looking back at a lot of the notes I jotted and a lot of the, the most effective breaking balls that I'd continue to write down and be like, this is unique. This is unique. It's no longer unique because everyone saw that and they're, they're now doing it. And that's welcome to the world of sports, specifically baseball. Uh, there'll be a new pitch that'll be in vogue next, but I think just based on what we're seeing in baseball, just with the way that you have to process a pitch, the way that pitch breaks it is just impossible to try to, to try to hit when you've got a guy with a riding fastball and then a sweeper off of that. Um, so we're seeing that pitch just be very effective to both lefties and righties as well. So it makes you more impervious to splits. And we're seeing the Yankees take Every every Yankees pitcher they try to teach the sweeper to. Uh, Shohei Otani has now adjusted his slider to more of a sweeper. Look at what it's done for him. Yeah. Um, not everybody can do it, but when you have the talent to do it, it can really be a difference maker. Pitch design is really cool, and that's an Science. aspect that I I think is I 
It's not brand new. People have been doing it forever. They've been trying things like, hey, your teammate throws a great splitter. Let me learn that. But altering your arsenal and finding a tweak to a pitch that is already major league caliber to make it all-star caliber, uh, I think is is really rearing its head. And now we can cut and dry label that pitch design. And pitch design is is where we are. Like baseball pitching is on the cutting edge right yeah. now, which which is really, really cool. You mentioned the Yankees being innovators. So I want to circle back to the Yankees and a good article from Ken Rosenthal. But uh, let's jump to Arias now with, with the Marlins. I mean, we're just talking about this trade, man. Is this trade the Halliburton-Sabonis thing? Yeah, like, it is. A hundred percent is. Like, and, and like, there's going to be ebbs and flows probably, you know, through throughout time, like I'm sure. But it's so funny to me because I – one of the things I, one of the few things I've like waged war on, on a facet of Marlins fans about was the, the complaining about trading Jose prospect, Jose Salas uh, on top of, you know, Pablo Lopez in this deal. Of course, Pablo Lopez pitching the way he's pitching is, is pretty nuts. And, and you could make the case that, Hey, it should have been one for one, probably should have, or at least have just been Brian Chorio, the other guy that they threw in there uh, in the deal. Yes. Should they have probably kept Salas? Sure. But if that's the sticking point, if the Twins were willing to walk away, I'm trading Salas in two seconds, and I assume that that's what it was. I was going nuts um, because it just it's it drives me crazy how fans are so desperate for offense, want to see better bats. They go get a guy that is the best bat that they've had in a very long time, and then they're complaining about a 19-year-old prospect that they gave up who has not played above high A and hasn't even put up good numbers in high A. That mm-hmm. aside, Luis Arias... I, I I have no idea how he is so good. Like I, it really, it's, it's incredible the way he is able to get to any pitch. I just saw fish stripes put together something of like all of his hits so far this season. It's high. It's low. It's inside. It's outside. The only kryptonite for Luis Arise is left-handed pitching. And that's fine. You know that you leave it at that. A righty. You have no game plan to get this guy out. 4,700 games in Marlins franchise history. The first cycle was hit by Luis Arias. With all of the talent they've had through the years, all of the bizarre stadium alignment between yeah. the, the two of them, right? It seems perfect breeding ground for, for a cycle. Weird no one's happened. done it. Luis Arias does it in his 12th game as a Marlin. Uh, it just kind of shows you. I think that's a microcosm of what this guy brings to the table for what is an anemic offense. Yeah, 100%, man. And like we can keep referencing the, the Bugatti and the trailer park and all that. But – um you know, arise. I'm trying to figure out if I have to stand one because I like standing both. And my original stand was Brendan Donovan. I was like, this guy is my ride or die. Now I'm thinking arise may take over. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Is it acceptable to be arise and Donovan truther? Yeah, I, I think they're very different. I do. I think yeah. they're very different. If okay. you could combine Arise and Donovan, I think you'd have the, the most electric player in baseball. Arise is <laughs> yeah. bad to ball skills with just being able to play all over the diamond. I mean, that's the one thing with the rise is the defense, but this guy's already accumulated a one F war. Like yeah. he's already a full win. Um, So that kind of just shows you what, what the twins were reluctant to give up. And I think it's interesting. I think both fan bases are looking at the performance of another player and saying, Oh man, I got a tweet though, which was funny from somebody that said, I'm kind of new to baseball is it normal for two teams to win a trade like this? Like for it to be so mutually beneficial? I said, well, first of all, it's rare to even see a big leaguer for big leaguer trade. Typically, you know, if you're rebuilding, if you're trading a a, a controllable big leaguer, 
you want a ton of, of volume, right? You want four prospects. You want three high upside prospects. Big leaguer for big leaguer trades don't happen anymore. So one, it was crazy to just see that. Two, it was crazy to see it so far work out so well for both teams. Um, obviously, means a lot more for the Twins, who are a more competitive ball club. Uh, right. But it, it is cool to see two teams kind of do well in a trade like that. Do Young Park, who is the um, Twins beat writer for MLB.com, grabbed this from Pablo after Pablo's start and, and arise here for the cycle when Pablo started. And he said, Pablo had already heard that Luis Arise has hit the first cycle in Marlins history when he talked to us after his start. From Lopez, quote, such a good guy. I'm happy it was him. So they fucking like each other, too. No, dude. They're, uh, apparently, I haven't met Arias. I've I've been able to interact, been fortunate enough to interact with Pablo a couple of times in the clubhouse. Pablo is one of the nicest dudes I've ever met in, in a professional setting, ever. Like, in any professional setting. Um, he is the absolute man. And apparently, Arias is the same way. Um, so it, it's just amazing. Like they're all so great people. So you always love to see that. Um, endlessly rooting for Pablo. Absolute man. Like he's, he is the dude. He, I, I hope he gets to pitch a postseason game. I really do. Cause yeah. he's the man. One of your favorite follows on Twitter has quickly become one of my favorite follows on Twitter at pasty a <laughs> Alex Ferrer. Um, he is, he's an elite Marlins troller. He's a very yeah. cynical Marlins fan. You have to be. Will- he will absolutely hop on the bandwagon when they're good. Like he is all aboard the Luis Arias hype train. And he tweeted, cause like he's got this love hate affair with Kim Ang. I'm sure every Marlins fan has a love hate affair with Kim Ang. And, and he tweeted after the cycle, Luis Arias has saved Kim Ang from any slander until May. He is fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta give her credit. That's a, it's a good move. It's a good move. Uh, we'll see if they extend him, but Kim's made some good moves. You know, she's made some bad ones. She's made, she's kind of sat on her hands in a couple other spots, but she's made some good moves. You got to you got to give her credit. No, I love the Arise deal. I love the puck deal for them from Lede. Like that that was just good, man. I think Kim Ang is a good GM. I think you got to give her some more time and she had to have a bit more freedom. She didn't have much freedom in the Jeter era. Like we talked about that and now I think she's got the keys to the Corvette and, and she can turn that into a, into a Bentley if she wants. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Although I don't think the Marlins will ever uh, be allowed to spend enough to turn that thing into a luxury car. But no. um, I, I want to talk about the Yankees and, and this article on the athletic from Ken Rosenthal. And it's all about the implementation of the quote unquote momentum lead. Everybody's got like a different name for it. It mm-hmm. might be like a, a hop lead, things like that. Um, and, and the gist is this it's been around for a really long time. It went away. Mike Roberts, who is the base running coordinator for the pirates and somebody that, you know, well, the manager of the Katuit Ketteliers in the Cape Cod baseball league. Um, he, he is a teacher of it as well. And, and if you've watched Aaron judge steal any bases recently, he stole 16 last year. He does this hop right before the secondary lead. That's how Anthony Volpe stole 50 bags in the minor leagues as well. The Yankees are leading their base running coordinator. And I'm blanking on his name is kind of leading the charge here. And a lot of teams are following suit, but explain to me what this momentum lead is. Yeah. So this was something that kind of took over uh, minor league baseball specifically over the last couple of years. But now that you, especially when you had the minor league rules kind of implemented too, with, with, pickoff limitations because the pickoff limitations really help this to set the stage here. So basically pitcher comes set. You have your, your normal lead, which is a little bit shorter than you probably normally do. And then you take 
that shuffle just before you think the pitcher is going to go to home. So you might be a little early. And if you are early on your shuffle, uh, you still feel like, and I was talking to a minor leaguer, actually, J.D. Orr about this, Marlins organization, awesome, awesome guy, one of the best base dealers in the minor leagues over the last several years. He does this. Um, and and something that he said about it was, I asked him, like, how do you not get picked off if you're taking a big shuffle step before he even pitches? What if he throws over? He said, I feel like the only way I can get picked off is if he does it when I'm in the air. Because my initial lead is short, my shuffle, I still feel like from where I land on my shuffle, I can get back to the bag. So it's a science. you got to really have it worked out, you know, almost exactly as far as you can go with the shuffle. But the shuffle gives you enough momentum that if he does go home with it right after, you can get to second base really easily. Really, the only way that this bites you in the button, guys, will get picked off from time to time is, again, if the pitcher can time it up where he is picking over to first right as you do your momentum shuffle. It'll happen from time to time, but it really isn't something that happens frequently enough because it's too hard for the pitcher to, to know when that shuffle is going to come. Benefits the, the base runner way more. And there's a disincentive to throw over now because if you do it three times, he automatically goes over. So if you draw a throw, the next time the pitcher doesn't want to do that. You know he doesn't want to throw over as much. And if there's a second throw, then you really know he doesn't want to throw over and you can feel a bit more confident about that momentum lead. Yeah, so Matt Tallarico is the director of speed development and base running. <laughs> director of speed development is a fucking sick job. I would, I'd want I'd want it like a like a shirt for that, honestly. Yes, I'm the director I am of speed. I am speed, parentheses, development. But Matt Tallarico is the guy that is, you know, doing this with the Yankees. He is the base running coordinator pretty much for the Yankees. A um, couple notes from this article from Ken Rosenthal. It is available at The Athletic. I'm not going to read like huge snippets here because it's behind a paywall for a reason. Like you should subscribe to The Athletic because they put together the best baseball journalism that is behind a paywall because we put the best baseball journalism out there. That is not baseball. behind a paywall. <laughs> uh, but Mike Roberts um, used to refer to it as a quote jump lead now refers to it as a shuffle lead. But this is a really interesting note here that I think sums it up best. Bruce Chatel, I want to say S-H-A-T-E-L, was the head coach at, at Del Barton, which is a high school baseball power in New Jersey. He was Volpe's coach, which is where Volpe learned it. Uh, and then he was also Jack Leiter's school, or Jack Leiter's coach at the Del Barton yeah. school. Um, and, and he put it like this, quote, if you're in a Ferrari at a stoplight and I'm in my Toyota, but I roll into that stop and you're at a dead stop, I'm going to beat you off the line a hundred times out of a hundred. That's the perfect way to put it. That's the best way to describe it right there. It really is. And I, I don't know if I'm going to take the analogy too far, but um, again, you feel like even if you're rolling into that stop that you can stop in enough time as, as, as a base runner. So like, that's, that's the thing too, is there's a, a lot of reward, not as much risk. Um, and, and that's at the end of the day, like that's what base running is base stealing specifically is a risk reward proposition, right? I'm going to try to take the extra 90 feet because I feel confident I'm going to make it. And we talk about like base stealing efficiency. You're running a risk. You're, you're, you're risking getting thrown out every single time you run for it. So if you feel like you are swaying the odds a little bit more in your favor by doing this more, more reward, a little bit more risk too, but the reward outweighs it. It's a no-brainer, and that's why we're seeing it take over baseball. And I think we're going to see a lot more do it. I will say one minor leaguer that I had 
um, speak to me about it. Um, that had his organization kind of his organization kind of had him not do it as much. They're not as forward thinking as the Yankees. Got it. That is fair. I understand that. All right. Um, real quick. So, yeah. Fair. <laughs> um, real quick, a Shohei Otani update for you before we get to um, the debut of Taj Bradley, which we are expecting here. Otani on the year now is 2-0, 19 innings, 24 punch outs, has a 0.47 ERA after uh, he threw the front seven of a shutout win over the Nats uh, on Tuesday night. Otani, seven innings, a one-hit ball, punched out six, did walk five, but no runners came in. Otani does look like a guy that can win the American League Cy Young. We obviously know what he does offensively. Whenever we can give an Otani update, I want to, because what this guy's doing on the mound is, I think, more impressive than what he does at the plate. And if he had to do one, obviously the beauty of Otani is he does both. If he had to do one, I think this guy is one of the best pitchers in baseball, full stop. Doesn't matter that he hits. It's amazing because we we talk about, like, you know, with Jack Flaherty, like the walks and, and you know, not giving up hits. He's actually walked a fair amount of guys. Uh, Shohei Otani has, but he's allowed, what, six hits thus far? Yeah, 19 innings. Yeah. So Come that's on. what stands out to me. 24 Ks, six hits. You're really not going to hit Shohei Otani at this point. I think it's pretty clear. Because if he's doing what he is doing right now, which is a .95 whip, despite walking way more than he normally does, you assume the walks go down a little bit. This guy's going to run away with the Cy Young if he continues. It's obviously, it's a long way to go. It's a marathon. But I think that is very interesting that, you know, you're, you're looking at a guy here that legitimately his command is not even clicking on all cylinders and he's been the most dominant pitcher so far to start the season. Um, yeah. It's amazing that Shohei Otani, the pitcher is actually that much better at this point than Shohei Otani, the hitter who is one of the better power bats in, in the game, I think. Which is crazy because we only saw a, a limited sample of Otani when he won his Rookie of the Year in 18, right? He started 10 games, but he won his Rookie of the Year because he was a great hitter that happened to have a 3-3 ERA. Threw 130 innings in 21, had a 3-1 ERA. I mean, like, he was great, obviously. He punched out 11 per nine. But last year, like, it was a new level of Shohei, a 2-3 ERA. I feel like this guy is almost going like he's not even regressing offensively. That's the thing. I feel like the pitching talent is coming to match his overall aura. I think this guy is getting better as a pitcher while maintaining this incredible offensive profile. And he's just becoming this like cyborg type type character that we weren't alive for the whole Bo Jackson thing, but how can this not be as impressive? So you kind of just made me think of something that, because uh, I, I said it quickly, like, okay, Shohei Otani, the pitcher is better than the hitter. In terms of like dominance, probably, but I'm also just realizing what I saw that motherfucker do at the World Baseball Classic yeah. during batting practice, which yeah. is something that nobody has done. I talked to a few folks uh, that you know, work game day for the Marlins. And just ask them, like, you watch a lot of BP. Have you seen anybody else do this? And they said Stanton has actually hit the scoreboard before when he was here. So, you know, when I said I hadn't seen anybody in, in my experience hit the scoreboard, apparently Stanton was the only other guy that had done it. So it's pretty much Stanton and Otani when it comes to that kind of power. Maybe Judge, if he gave him enough tries out there, he'd do it. But the point being, he's in the 0.01% when it comes to power. What's nuts, too, about Otani is to start this year, a small sample size, but 
sitting 300, 404, 575. So maybe he is going to get better offensively too. That's that's the fucked up part about all this is he's right now about to hit his physical prime at 28 years old. He we might not have seen the best of Shohei Otani that we talked about it with Trout and that like that's uh, about how he's getting better. He's not in his physical prime. He's on the back end of it, but he seems to continue to be a sponge as we talked about. Shohei Otani's hitting his physical prime and his body's getting more used to the the rigor of uh, of of what he does cuz now there's going to be the third season of him really doing it. Yeah, he might follow up the last couple of years performance with something even better. Like, it's just absurd. Shohei Otani has a career 887 OPS. Can I give you some names who had a career OPS at 887 and slightly below? Prince Fielder, Jackie Robinson, Fred McGriff, Eddie Matthews, Rafael Palmero, Harmon Killebrew, Will Clark, Sammy Sosa. Come on. Yeah, well, those guys are good. Like, come on, dude. So here's a game. He got a little bit of a, a later start offensively because he missed some time. And yeah, pitching stats aren't going to be as cumulative for him because he's always going to be on a relatively shorter leash, you know, we, which is the way it should be. You don't need him throwing 200 innings. Yeah. Um, but offensively, what kind of milestones do you think this guy can hit? So he's, I'll give you time to kind of like do the math here. 130 home runs. This is age 28 season. Yeah. So you figure by the end of this season, he could be at 160, right? He'll be at 160. You figure he can, at least offensively speaking, play for another decade. You know, we'll see how he, how he pitches in the next, for the next decade. Offensively speaking, he could play for another decade. Does this dude have a shot at 500 homers? So no, if he hits 30 homers a year for the next eight seasons after this, if he ends his age 28 season at, at 160, then he's at 400. So See, I think, but I think that's very conservative. 30 homers a year for eight years that takes him through his age 36 season. He's got 400 homers. I think that's very conservative. He had 34 last year, 46 the year before that. Let's say he averages 35 for nine years. Where does that put him? 36 a year for nine years? Yeah. 35, 36 a year for nine years. Let's call it 35 times nine, 315 plus 160, 475. Like he could, and remember, like, couldn't you see like a 38-year-old Shohei Otani that just DHs and we're on milestone watch? where he's just still running into baseballs and can kind of limp his way to the finish line to 500. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Do you think he retires as a pitcher, but stays active as a hitter and then like fully retires at some point in his career? Do you think he gives up one of them? I think, I think it would depend on the circumstances, but assuming that, you know, his arm really starts to slow down. Like, yes. Cause you know, if, if he gets to the point where he's like a five starter or he's, you know, a middle reliever or a setup guy like do you really want to do that anymore like just just focus on hitting and and preserve the longevity of of your career as a big leaguer period we'll cross that bridge when we get there i think that's that's what i think is going to happen though right a couple of years of just DHing when his body's slowing down he's 38 39 he's at 470 home runs tell me this guy's not going to hit you 20 and 20 and and get get us to 500 if I had to take a bet, I think I'm taking the Shohei 500. I, I think I am. 
I love that. We are so unbelievably negative. Like here we are talking about his retirement. Um, I've had this conversation with my girlfriend. My dog is 14 years old. He's a little white dog. I think he's got like two more years in him. We'll see. Um, but you know, she's got like a young dog. I, I think her dog is three or four. And you know, whenever they do something really cute, like I I get moved to legit emotion because I'm like, I'm gonna be a mess when you die. Oh no, I'm I'm so I'm so messed up with mine are eleven. My my two boys are eleven. It freaks me out. I think about it every day. It, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like we're thinking about like, oh my God, I'm gonna be so sad when they die and not like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. I love that. There's nothing no, bad that can ever happen. Mourning mourning the end before it even happens. I've, I've I do that every day with my dogs. It freaks me out. Right. I, I, I've I've been doing it with Miggy for three fucking years now. I've been I've just been like, oh, he's not the same anymore. Like it's just Right. At least he's on the field. I could be watching him. And instead I'm just like, oh, it's like, it's over. Like he's not what he used to be. Like, uh, exactly. Like Shohei's 28 years old. He's about to sign a $500 million contract. And we're like, I wonder what his retirement's going to look like. <laughs> 500 homers is what it's going to fucking look like. It's going to be sick. I and hope Jack so. Jr. is going to be like, dad, tell me about Shohei. It's going to be, it's going to be very cool. Never doing the Jack Jr. thing with my kid. No, no no yeah, shot. Yeah. Going to name him something weird like Randall. It's going to be yeah. awesome. Randall. Randall <laughs> McMullen. He's not going to go by Randy. He's going to go by Rand. Just drop the Y. It's going to be sick. Uh, all right. Last, last thing on my agenda is Taj Bradley. Mm-hmm. Talking before his debut at the Trop against Chris Sale and the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Zach Eflin hits the IL. Bradley makes his major league debut um, while the Rays are 11-0. And I yeah. think this it's is surprising. It's kind of surprising. It's a lot of pressure, but I think that he can handle it. So a couple things that I guess we'll be interested to, to find out. And we will have found out by the time people are listening to this, but just for transparency, how, how deep are they going to let him go? Um, That's number one. Cause he's thrown 50. He's thrown 106 pitches through his first two starts. Yeah. In the minors this year in AAA, first start was shaky, and I thought that that's why it was cut short. His velo kind of dipped off a little bit at the end. Then second start he was lights out, and they still cut him off at like fifty something pitches. So I don't know why they did that. Our theory on the call up was that it was to stretch him out for the season, presuming that he was going to be called up at the end of the year. That's not the case. He's up now. Um, very surprising to me. I think he can get outs. I do. Like I think he's gonna. The fastball and the slider are fantastic. He's an athletic pitcher. Um, the splitter has looked like a little bit better. It looks like a viable pitch. He's not going to throw too much, but it's enough of, of a third look. Yeah. But, you know, what do you think the expectations are? Because this, to me, this was for, for the Rays. This is a team that's trying to keep the foot on the gas. Yeah. Um, this is a team that we talked about what makes them so good is that every single day, you have a pitcher that will at the very least not put you at a disadvantage, which not many rotations can say like every once in a while, they're just going to get outmatched with the pitching matchup. And it's that scheduled disadvantage we talk about that might've happened with the Rays, with no, you know, with no Taj with whoever else that would have started somebody else in Fleming and in the four or five would have been a little bit, a little bit more shaky. Like Taj, if he's on is an advantage if he's on. I just thought it was interesting that they brought him up. Like, what do you think the expectation is out of him? Do they want just four or five? Is he just supposed to be kind of, I feel like he might, they might only want him to just be like a, a slightly prolonged opener. Like, I I don't know if they expect him to be more than a four inning guy for them out of the gate with the bullpen that they have. Yeah. And I mean, there's a chance that he only goes four, but you know, it, 
honestly, I think that this is a we're here and we're competing move from Tampa. I think instead of making a bullpen day uh, win number 12, I think they're turning to their top prospect and a top 40 or 50 prospect in all of baseball right here. And they're almost putting their dick on the table and say, come at us. We've got a lot of depth, man. We've got our new $40 million guy go down. Guess what? We're going to one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball to make his major league debut. We're here to fucking win. I think that's what Tampa is saying right now. Uh, And I think, you know, you look at it. Yes, it's a long ass season, but if you can create any kind of separation and that's what they're doing right now. Obviously, they're three and a half up on on the Yankees. They're eleven and zero. Yankees are seven and four. And the Yankees have had a nice start. Yeah. So of the Blue Jays, you're three and a half up. You're gonna hit some snags through the duration of the season. So if you can keep things rolling, like you said, like that is clearly what their focus is. That's cool. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. I'm excited to see what happens if he pitches well, and then guys start to come back. Like what happens when Glass now comes back, and then F1 comes back. Uh, obviously. F1's 15-day IL, it might be longer than that. So they'll probably go three, four times around the rotation before either of those guys are fully, fully back. So Taj will have a lot of time, and I think they'll build him up a little bit more. Um, but it, it is crazy that what they're, they're, the back end of their rotation is one of the most exciting young pitching prospects in baseball. And then we're waiting for the other exciting young pitching prospect in Shane Boz. Uh, and then we're waiting for one of the most exciting arms in baseball in Tower Glass now. A lot of unknown with that trio, but with un- unknown can come good, can come bad. This version of the unknown can come excellent. And yeah. there's three guys that could be excellent. One, like one, two, three in a good rotation. So I'm I'm just fascinated by the Rays, not because they're 11 and 0, just because there's so much that can happen here. And I'm very excited to find out, you know, how it's all going to look. It makes me happy to end the pod talking about Shohei and the race. Like, hey, here's the positive note. Like, damn, man, this is cool. Baseball is fully back, and we just talked about best player, best team, which is really fun. So uh, that's it for this show. Tomorrow going to be a survey look at the top 100. Again, that is available editorially on JustBaseball.com. Check out our social medias. The uh, top 100 is pumped out there. If you want an in-depth breakdown on each guy as we go 100 through one, go listen to the call-up. It's our prospect podcast. Um, but you will get you know a, a glimpse into what the 2022 Just Baseball Top 100 looks like tomorrow. So every other link you need is in the show notes. This has been the Just Baseball Show presented by BetMGM. We'll talk to you on Friday.